Welcome to the Big Bald Broadcast, episode 32, all the geeky news you can use. My name is Kyle Abair. You can hear me on the big screen August 4th through 12th on Dragon Ball Z Resurrection F. Get your tickets now at DragonBallZ.com. This limited theatrical engagement will sell out. I'm here on the West Coast. And on the East Coast, your co-host from the East Coast, Otherworld Steve. And I am ridiculously excited that Kyle's going to be heard on the big screen. Now, and let me ask you, Steve, do you have tickets to see this yet? I don't, but I think last night I made some progress I think my wife's willing to go with me, so this I might go after all. Oh, okay. So she's willing to go with you. You wouldn't go by yourself? You wouldn't take your kids? My kids don't give a shit. My kids would be more complaining about the drive and the weight and the standing in line. Um, because, again, everything's so ADD nowadays with, with the tablets and the smartphones and everything. You get instant gratification. So, yeah, my kids don't know patience. Not one bit. Man, I got to call out my daughter on this. I had to shut off her, her data for the month because she used, like, 42 gigs. That's a big number. <laughs> That's a lot of data. And, you know, you can use all the data you want when you're on Wi-Fi, right? But if you're on... the you know, just data, LTE, 3G, 4G network, whatever carrier you're on, you know, and you're streaming YouTube. Yeah. Say goodbye to your data really, really fucking fast. I work for a relatively small nonprofit organization. You know, God bless their, their little hearts because they thought they were doing a good thing and they provided the entire management team with cell phones. Nice. Um, nice uh, Android phones. And, uh, yeah, my co-conspirators, I did not elect to get a company phone. <laughs> I don't want them turning on and off the GPS at their will. Um, cause half the times I'm at home in bed when I should be at work. But anyways, um, yeah, the, my, my coworkers were ridiculously abusive with that. And, uh, I guess shit started raining down from above that it's not appropriate to use eight gigs in a week. And and you, th and you say to yourself, how is that even possible? But I sound like a crotchety old man, but today's youth, they can find a way. I mean, these games in the, in the app stores and shit are really huge, too. Um, I'm not sure how things are with Apple, but at least um, on Android, you get a warning saying, you know, you really should just download this over Wi-Fi because you're going to incur ridiculous cost otherwise. Yeah, I'm like 10 days into my new billing cycle, and I get this warning. Thank you, AT&T. 75% of your data is used. Like, what? Well, wait a minute. What? So you're just texting people going forward, and it's just one text per day. You know, I do have the ability to shut her data off for the remainder of the cycle, and she knows. I've told her. I said, look, you know... This is the way it's got to be because um, data costs a lot. And it doesn't matter what carrier you have. If you go over your plan, you know, it's upwards of like $15 per gig. And if you're still 
having, and you still have the same habits. You're still streaming music. You're still watching videos left and right. Then yeah, I've had it as bad as I was like, another gig has been used. Another gig has been of overage. And it's like, holy shit. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, I gotta, I gotta shut this off. Just, just cut the power, man. Is there an unlimited option with, uh, wherever your carrier is? Oh, I, I used to have unlimited, but. If you had unlimited, I was grandfathered in because I, I was, I've been with them for so long, but I decided to get off of that because they do this little practice called throttling, where if you go over four or five gigs in a month, then they start to slow down your service. So if you're streaming music, uh, you're trying to just connect to the internet or, you know, update Facebook or Twitter, it'll just hang there and take for fucking ever. I I didn't think that was good. I mean, and they got slapped with a lawsuit from the FCC, I do believe. And they're contesting it, saying, this doesn't actually hurt our customers. I don't know why they're just trying to get everyone onto a data plan. Oh, yeah. Oh, I answered my own question. Because they can make way more money doing that. I cut the landline years ago, which is really funny because I, I'm still tethered to cable, but I got rid of my home phone, oh, geez, four or five years ago. And I don't miss it because, really, I don't see the, the point of it. But, yeah, it, it's the same thing with Cable's reluctance to allow you to get channels streaming a la carte because they, they still have to hold on to the old ways. How can they still make money from this? That's why we all don't drive electric cars. But if Google or Tesla has their way, right, we will in 10 years, right? Hey, you know what? I really don't have a problem with it because um, as, as crotchety as I can come off at times, I really do care about people and society in general and the environment and if we can do something in some small way and shit, if we take all the, the gas burning cars off the roads and replace them all with electric, that's in a pretty big way. So I really can't argue that one. Even if it's some giant conglomerate that's laughing all the way to the bank, at least there is that benefit to it. I just actually thought you said ass burning <laughs> instead of gas burning. I'm like, well, there's a vision. Well, that might be the next thing. When we run out of all of our fuel sources, now we're burning ass. Well, yeah. I mean, we could do pig shit or, or just shit methane as they say in australia let's just do that it's the aluminium too aluminium yes yes let's check my schedule let's go park the car in the garage and go to the laboratory now our our, <laughs> our two british listeners are going to write in it's like i take great umbrage with that statement i've said it before but now i'm going to say it again because you're on the british kick um Nina explains it all. It's a BBC show, and it's it's a kid's science show, kind of akin to what we grew up with with Mr. Wizard. If you have a chance to check it out, some interesting shit. So that's my plug for the night. See, I have this generational gap where it's like, yeah, for you and me, it's Mr. Wizard. For most of the people listening to uh, our, our podcast or within the reach of our voice, probably was Bill Nye. But I didn't have never seen any Bill Nye, so I don't know how cool, quote-unquote, it was to learn science from him. We didn't have an experience, so th there's no emotional connection. So we apologize, kids. We, we just we don't know that guy, that science guy. We're old farts. You know, I just saw like memes on Facebook for, for the guys and the girls superhero saying, you know, people think you're too old to cosplay. And then it shows every actor in the Marvel Cinematic Universe or even DC Universe and, and their ages. And almost all of them are in their 40s or, you know, Robert Downey Jr.'s 50. It's like you're never too old for this shit. All right. Just, just deal with it. I think it's weird for our generation in particular, having grown up with video games, having grown up a um, little later in life, but with the internet, things of that nature. I don't plan on stopping to play video games. I don't know if I'll be 90 still playing video games, but 
it's become more of a cultural thing, I think, than, than an age thing. Right. I'm looking at our chat, uh, which guys listening to our podcast, um, if you want to check us out, we were streaming on Tuesday nights as we record new episodes. Now we're going to switch that to Wednesday nights. So follow us at BB Broadcast on Twitter, and uh, we'll remind you guys with tweets and everything. We're going to stream Wednesday evenings, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. We have a chat room set up so people like Robert J. can say stuff like, Bill Nye was cool when I was a kid, but when I watched it again on Netflix, it was kind of lame. We'll say, well, that's the thing, you know? Speed Racer was the most awesome thing when I was five, but, you know... Uh, even as a teenager, I could try and watch it and barely make it 30 seconds into it. You know, it's just, you know, there's the disconnect. You know, I, my first introduction to Batman was Adam West and it was like larger than life. So awesome. So cool. And then you grow up and you go, Oh, this is cheesy. This is campy. It's supposed to be over the top and bad and everything. We romanticize nostalgia. And sometimes it's very costly that you, you have people that spend a lot of money in action figures and toys from their youth because they want to recapture that or, or maybe have some of those things they didn't have growing up. And for me, one of my big deals was I wanted a Dragon's Lair cabinet. And I'll tell you what, after getting it together and playing for a little bit, probably haven't touched that thing in four or five years. Uh-huh. I'm going to have to do some digging here because uh, Alan S. says, speaking of Speed Racer, Funimation announced they have the license for Speed Racer. I wonder if that's like a distribution deal or if there's like a new series. Hmm. And if there is, can I get on in on that action since I do dubbing of anime all the time? Hmm. Quiring minds want to know. Thank you for the link. Hey, you guys can can totally give us topics. Uh, just give us your source too. Just just link to it so we can check out what you're what you want to talk about. Yeah, Anime News Network says uh, Funimation licenses Speed Racer. That's very very interesting. They will release for the first time on Blu-ray and in Japanese with English subtitles. What? It will also include English audio. Uh, the collection will include episodes that have not been yet released in North America. No uh, release window has been uh, announced yet. From 1967 to 68, car racing anime Mach Go 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 was licensed by Translux and released in the U.S. in 1967 as Speed Racer. Watched very little of it growing up. I did not see the Wachowskis' <laughs> big screen take on it. I know you did. And something tells me I didn't miss anything. No, 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 no. You didn't miss anything. I think if you're in an inebriated state, maybe. But if you're epileptic, you probably want to avoid that at all costs. You know, it, it's like a Skittles movie. Uh, every every color of the rainbow is on representation at all times. If you had to sit down and choose one movie to watch, would it be Speed Racer or Cloverfield? Well, I'm a little biased because I love Cloverfield, but I know that anybody who who gets motion sickness from handheld, um, you know, movies like that, they're going to run the other direction. So, I mean, th- they may just as well take a bullet in the head. And I haven't seen Cloverfield for that reason. I just I have this pretty sure feeling I'm just going to vomit everywhere. <laughs> you might, you might. Just like uh, Blair Witch was what was better on just a regular size screen, but when it was on gigantic screens and it went into wide release and got all this hype, it was, yeah, it was number one at the box office for a week or two. But but all these people were leaving halfway through, <laughs> going, "Oh my god, the motion sickness! Oh my god!" Robert J. in the chat asks, Speed Racer or Dragon Ball Evolution? Here's my thing, and, and, and anyone who listened to previous episodes of, our, of the Big Ball broadcast, or even in our previous incarnation, our five-year run, probably already know that uh, it is our firm opinion that anime is anime for a reason. It does not need to be made into another medium. <laughs> Just leave it the hell alone, because you have nothing but bad examples of how not to do it. Is that just an American thing, though? Have you seen the trailers for Attack on Titan? And if so, I mean, what's your take on that? I'm intrigued. 
because Attack on Titan has been such a huge buzz thing and, you know, a big hit on Adult Network, Toonami, Adult Swim, rather, in North America, for the rest of our world are listening. Even that live action thing, I think, got dubbed. I think. I've seen the, tra- I've seen the trailers. And hey, if it's in English, I'll watch it. I'm, I'm not anti-subtitles, nor, not, not in a otaku snob sort of way. I'm, I'm just more like, I'm lazy. I don't want to, I want to read. I just, I just want to hear it in my language so I can just focus on what's happening on screen. Uh, so if it comes out that way, yeah, I'll, I'll probably watch it because it does encapsulate. I mean, I don't have enough. There's not enough hours in the day that I can sit here and, and watch a show or too many shows. I mean, I, I have such a backlog, as you know. I mean, you, me, and countless geeks out there just have uh, Blu-ray collections, DVD, even VHS still in the shrink wrap on their shelves. That's our, our huge conundrum. I always think, because it was so powerful, I'll never forget it. And I don't think it gets enough, gets out enough to enough anime fans. But um, I was at a convention with Scott McNeil, and people were just firing away all these questions about what's your take on this show and, and how about the character interactions in that show. And Scott finally had to say, I'm sorry, don't take this out of context, but if I watched all these shows, I wouldn't be working so, you know, I can't be as into it as you are. I can't be as passionate as you are. I have to go and do my job and then get other work. So there's an understandable disconnect, too. And, and honestly, how many people want to go home and listen to their work or other people's work? It's kind of like when some of the directors who are also voice actors, they were voice actors first, that's what they're known for, but now they direct or now they adapt into English scripts and whatnot. The last thing they want to do after they've been doing that all day is watch more of that stuff. How objective can you be at that point? You know, or are you taking notes on the editing job or how well their scripting was done and matching mouth flaps? Dude, you know, I'm in the industry just as a voice actor. I, I haven't directed and I did minimal script adaptation. I did like a 10 minute like one cut scene in the first Dragon Ball Z Budokai game and that was enough for me to go this is not for me. <laughs> I don't want to adapt Japanese scripts into English. That is that is so tedious. Granted, you can sit there in your underwear and do it on a laptop, and, but it's so time-consuming. I find myself, when I go watch movies, it's like, oh, that lip sync was off. Oh, this line could have been a little bit better. Or, you know, this, and we're sitting here nitpicking. I know the plight now of every filmmaker out there. The, the fans adore it, and the director's going, cringing, going, I hate this shot. I hate this shot. I, I had one more day in post-production. I could have perfected it. Nah! So I almost sympathize with George Lucas, almost. I spent, I think, nine months just uh, mixing the last Perimeter of the Void album, and I listened to it, and it still sounds like shit. It's tough when you're a one-man army, when, when you do your work, and then it just kind of goes out into the ether. Um, you can't take it back, but at some point, you have to let it go. Yeah, because it's it's like a, a, a diary of that point in time. That's where you were at that moment, and you just you just accept it for what it is. The good, the bad, the ugly, all of that stuff. And, you know, you know, Steve, you just don't have enough on your plate, you know, with a full-time job and documentaries and, and books, projects, all of It's like, yeah, yeah, let's add one more thing. How about you remaster your old band stuff again? And, you know, from time to time, I have. I've, I've opened up the, uh, the window for that and I just think about how much work that is it's kind of almost wrong to say I'd want to do it right because that was my intent going in the first time but I'd, I'd really want to do it right and I think to do it right I'd have to hand it off to somebody else this documentary it's it's tough I don't say this for any sympathy because I do it because I love it but on top of working and, and having kids and a wife and, and other obligations 
to still try to put in anywhere from four to six hours a night into it. It's a lot of work when you watch other shows and you see a giant list of credits, and it's hard when you're a crew of one and you're doing the research and the scripting and the, the video simultaneously. It's very taxing. I was talking to somebody this other day, and it was like, don't learn too too much about the things you really enjoy because you're going to learn those tedious, monotonous, annoying things or just the assholes in the industry, and it starts giving you a bad taste in your mouth. So enjoy it, kind of like on a pedestrian level. Don't really get too obsessed about it. Here on Smodco, there's a lot of future filmmakers out there that follow Kevin Smith, and uh, he's had his kind of master class in podcast form about uh, getting your vision done on an indie level and everything. And I think this makes a, a nice segue into a software review since you're working with this this uh, video editing software called HitFilm. I've never heard of this thing. You know, obviously, I guess the industry standards are things like Final Cut Pro and Avid and, and things like that. On, on a basic consumer level, let's hear what you have to say about HitFilm. Certainly. Uh, well, let me preface by saying uh, two things. And the first is, when I get into um, recording music, I had no idea what the fuck I was doing. But everything was accessible. Everything was so easy to do. I figured... You could only fuck it up so hard, so I just jumped in with both feet and and made it up as I went. The, I'm, I take the same approach with film, where I, I haven't done anything like this before. I haven't produced or, or directed anything, so I'm just jumping in with both feet and making this up as I go. Um, now, having said that, Hit Film, uh, or in my case, Hit Film Three Pro, it makes the job very very easy, and. If you're familiar with some of the big workhorses like Adobe After Effects, you'll trans transition over into this really seamlessly. There's a lot of cautions in their forms, and, and if you do a search, people talk about how uh, it's a little intimidating. There, there's a learning curve. It's really not that bad. What really works for a hit film where it's my primary, and I won't even ever go back to After Effects, is it's got so much under the hood. It's a, a three-in-one it's got um, nonlinear editing, a full 3D environment, and VFX software. So you don't have to bounce through multiple programs. You don't have to open up Bijou or something else later on to, to throw in your 3D. It's right there, and it's all just a matter of clicking on a tab. It's ridiculously accessible. Visually, it's appealing enough to get your job done. Now, the big thing about this is... Uh, there's a free version, absolutely free version. You go over to hitfilm.com. You can download it to your computer. The only caveat is, well, there's two caveats. And the first is you can only export to YouTube. But, hey, at least your shit still gets to be seen, which is pretty cool. Um, it is kind of nerfed with the effects. And you can do an a la carte with the effects, which I think is interesting. If, if you're a J.J. Abrams type and you want a lot of lens flare, you can buy a lens flare uh, package for like $9.99. And I think it's pretty cool if you're just dabbling. Um, you can just buy what you need. If you want to go balls out, it's only $299. And I know, you know, for somebody to say only $299, yeah, but if you start adding up the cost of After Effects and some of these... Uh, bigger 3D programs and then some of these big FX packages, you're going to spend a couple grand easy. So this is really, really, really the, the cheaper alternative. No, I don't get paid a cent to say any of this stuff. Um, I'm just personally amazed. I'm blown away. I was using After Effects prior, and it, it felt a little tedious. And switching over, um, there's just no looking back. I, I could never go back to After Effects again. And it, that's not a slam at Adobe. They do great work, but... 
headphones the way to go. I found this through Film Riot. I dig Film Riot. It's a, a channel on YouTube, kind of uh, indie film productions, some running gun stuff, uh, DIY light rigs or, or sliders for your cameras. So check that channel out. And they're partnered with HitFilm. So I figured that was a pretty good endorsement for me. Let me go check that out. And um, I, I can't really say enough about what, uh, a very powerful, extremely robust, all-in-one package this program is. So if you're even curious, again, as I started, um, you don't have to know much. <laughs> Just jump in to start doing something because... A, you're doing something, and B, you'll be surprised what you can do. You, you'll impress yourself pretty quickly. You can find more info at hitfilm.com. It says uh, if you get the license for 300 bucks, you can activate and use it on three different computers, which is important. You know, you don't want to just be kind of a slave to either one laptop or desktop or anything. And, of course, the specs are here. Uh, it's for Windows or Mac. I know that's a huge thing, so people are either one or the other, or maybe both. It, it'll work on both. Uh, which is uh, very encouraging. Uh, and so, yeah, this looks like a really badass program. I mean, I know nothing about video editing. I, again, as a voice actor, I know a little bit basic audio production stuff, but uh, the video stuff is uh, pretty daunting to me. But uh, it's encouraging to, to find something that's not only budget-friendly, and again, put air quotes around budget, because, yeah, it is $300, and let's, uh, let's face it, man... Would you rather just uh, have an editing program or a, a new video game console? Okay, I already know the answer to that. You want a video game console. But if you want to get your film project done, uh, whether you're a student film or indie filmmaker or, or content uh, producer for YouTube and, and video, uh, Vimeo and, and, and whatnot, this looks like a, a really nice thing. And again, there, this is not an endorsement. This is not one big ad. I think it's going to benefit a lot of the listeners out there. So it's, it's really cool to hear that. And I really can't say it enough. In, in this environment we live in, don't be afraid to, to try something. Um, the, the worst thing that's going to happen is you're going to lose some time. And, and that's okay because you're going to waste time being frustrated and banging your head against the wall anyway. So throw a couple hours into whatever that passion is. And Very, very nice. So again, hitfilm.com is uh, the place where you can find out about HitFilm 3 Pro, the all-in-one editing 3D and VFX software. On to some geek stuff. We got uh, some interesting news here. Um, in the video game world, if you have an Android or an iPhone, uh, this series of games is certainly very popular. I think a part four just came out for it. Five Nights at Freddy's. Uh, it's one of those jump scare sort of things. It, it's gotten a lot of buzz and, and everything. And of course, you know, Hollywood has to dip their fingers into anything that makes money. So it looks like Five Nights at Freddy's is going to get a big screen version. Now, before everyone gets too excited... This is just my personal opinion, but when you have the director of the Poltergeist reboot helming it, Gil Kennan, I'm sure you're a really nice guy, but um, uh, my, my, my fears, <laughs> pardon the pun, for Five Nights at Freddy's uh, extend beyond the jump scare. You didn't like the Poltergeist reboot? I didn't see the Poltergeist. All I had to do was hear enough people bitching about it to keep me away from the Poltergeist reboot. You know, I don't like uh, jump scares, not one bit, so I am not the type of candidate to play Five Nights at Freddy's. There's another channel I'm so subscribed. I'm subscribed to a lot of YouTube channels. <laughs> at least you're immersed in this. See, it's a little daunting to me. If I, I if I log on to YouTube, I just start looking for random clips from old movies or TV shows. I, for, I totally just blank out on the fact that there's a whole Hollywood 
of, of independent producers and YouTube content providers that all this awesome shit is out there. And I, I just, I think I, I subscribe, of course, to, uh, you know, Kevin Smith stuff, uh, Nerdist, uh, and a couple other channels. But as far as knowing what, what else to look for, I don't even know how to begin to, to find these channels. The sky's the limit. I mean, you, you can type in anything into that YouTube search bar, and chances are you're not going to find just one, but multiple results. But um, it's Game Theorist. And first of all, I love the, the whole premise of Game Theorist. Why not apply science and math to video games? And, you know, early on, they were doing things like, how fast is Mario actually running, and how high is he jumping? And it's just weird, geeky shit. But anyways, um, Game Theorist has explored very deeply the mythology into Five Nights at Freddy. And it's actually a pretty interesting and, and really compelling story. So even though I'm not a candidate to, you know, piss my pants constantly because things are jumping out at me, um, I do certainly appreciate there's some actual real depth. There, there is a very intriguing story to tell. Awesome. If you guys want to uh, get your opinions at us right now, you can do that at BB Broadcast. That's our Twitter uh, and of course, you can send email if you have more than 180 characters or 140 characters or whatever. You can do the big ball broadcast at gmail.com, whether it's, it's reviews, it's topics, questions, comments, suggestions. Uh, and of course, if you, if you join our chat room, uh, which from here on out will be on Wednesday evenings at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific, right here on the big ball broadcast part of Smodco internet radio we have absolute confirmation that mark hamill is going to reprise the voice of the joker once again well this is kind of a big deal uh for me anyways because i remember growing up with this and that's alan moore and brian ballins the killing joke which uh you know again looking through through the nostalgic eyes uh the fandom's kind of split on it nowadays on whether or not it was a masterpiece or an abomination but i'm leaning more towards the masterpiece column What's very interesting, uh, I found anyway, about this is that, of course, people are hitting a panel like, hey, you know, on Twitter, that is, saying, hey, I, I hear they're talking about doing Killing Joke. Are, are you going to be the Joker? And he had tweeted back, you know, I hope so. And there's another tweet saying he's got his fingers crossed. Well, it came out later on that uh, I guess he did these tweets just as he wrapped his session. So... <laughs> A little fuck you for Mark Hamill. I know working as a, as a voice actor, I have to sign NDAs left and right, and I can sit there and smile and have, say no comment or go, I hope they hire me. And meanwhile, I know in the back of my head that it's like, yeah, it's a done deal, but I would so lose future employability if I, if I sat here and admitted that. So I understand the conundrum that Mr. Hamill has and any other actors working on a high profile project. But, uh, yeah, you get to the, you get to the point where that's one of the quintessential graphic novels, one of those quintessential Batman stories. We've been waiting years. DC's been knocking it out of the park with all these great direct to video things. They, they, they found a niche thing that, that really, really connects. They, they, um, for the, for the, for the most part, they're all just really, really stellarly reviewed. They're, they're critically revered. The fans love it. They're putting out, you know, multiple titles, whether Superman, Justice League, Gods and Monsters, uh, you have multiple Batman titles with multiple actors portraying it. But of course, the fans want the core cast of Kevin Conroy as Batman, Mark Hamill as Joker. Even though we've had wonderful interpretations from the likes of Troy Baker, from the likes of John DiMaggio. At the end of the day, this is what people want. This is what we had in the 90s, the, the, the definitive Batman animated cast. 
as a kid, do you think you really would have given a shit if a voice changed slightly, if they replaced an actor? I don't know if it's something that's become more prevalent now because of conventions, because people can get out in the industry and talk about what they do. Um, but I, I just don't remember having that vibe growing up or, or even that much of an interest or even really knowing what was going on behind the scenes. Well, I know that when I was probably five or six and I was watching Batman, I noticed the change in cast for Catwoman. You had three different Catwoman. I go, oh, I don't like this one as much. He's not as pretty or whatever. I mean, you know, whatever I said as a five-year-old. So, uh, whoever was an Eartha Kit. Yeah, so so I noticed then, can you, can you ask any other kid from today's generation, do they really give a shit? <laughs> do, they, do, they, do they care if it's a celeb? Do they even put two and two together that that animated characters have actors behind the behind the paintings and the drawings and the CG and all that? Which weird as of late is that Cartoon Network when they air um, Teen Titans, there's very brief clips of the voice actors. So you'll see Tara Strong in one introduction, or the guy who voiced Beast Boy in the other. Sorry, I don't remember your name. So. I thought it was kind of weird to even introduce that to kids. Like, hi, I'm so-and-so, and I'm the voice of Beast Boy. That's kind of like pulling that bottom stage away on Sesame Street and showing the guy with his hand up the Muppet's ass, you know? I guess it kind of is, and I hadn't thought of it that way, but I also thought it was kind of cool to pay attention to that man behind the curtain because we're educating you at an earlier age how this whole process works. And, you know, if you look at just the headcount at panels at these conventions or the, or the autograph lines... For, for these at, at Comic-Con conventions, cartoon voice actors weren't kind of a big deal, even though cartoons always were for decades. And now only in, in the uh, within the past few years of social media and the fact that these cartoon actors are getting more exposure. They're even, you know, some of the actors are just like, what, there's conventions? I could go out there and meet fans? And then they go and then they're overwhelmed because all these people... You know, especially nostalgia stuff, you know, people like Rob Paulson, Maurice LaMarche, you know, going out there for, for Animaniacs or Kevin Conroy going on the convention scene and people saying, Hey, you're my childhood. I grew up with your Batman and things like that. I think it's, I think it's really cool to, to, to go ahead and, and demonstrate that because my father is the one that told me, uh, and he planted the seed basically. It's like, see Bugs Bunny and see all these Looney Tunes characters. One guy did those voices. And that's, that's what made me want to become a voice actor. That's amazing. In my opinion, it seemed more romantic, more genuine back in the day. Now, because everybody knows what's kind of out there, it's, it's competitive and kind of sterile. Just the conversation, yeah, I want Kevin Conroy back. Well, it's like, you know, you realize you, those other guys that voice Batman contemporarily, go home and cry when they read that shit on Twitter and Facebook. <laughs> yeah. It's the coolest thing ever. I got cast as Batman. It's the worst thing ever because I'm going to be constantly compared to the other Batman. What haven't you done where you haven't got a comparison? Right right back to Dragon Ball Z. Funimation had really no chance initially. That's not what I remember hearing. That's not what Piccolo sounds like. That's not what Goku sounds like. I do have to say kudos Robert J for saying, hey, Andrea Romano, hire Kyle for Jim Gordon for Killing Joke. I don't see them going with someone uh, in, in my area. I think they're probably going to go either a celeb cast or or someone way more established. And I totally respect that. But I have heard that Andrea Romano, who did direct most of the classic animated Batman stuff and a lot of the games and, and everything, she's fully entrenched in that. And the director that's my holy grail to work with, I heard she's going to retire in the next few years. So I have to make this happen. It's one of those bucket list things for my career as a voice actor. So 
if I can get in the Batman universe, that would be fantastic. I don't care as who. I can be a thug. I can be, you know, someone that just gets killed or, or someone that just has, hey, over here. You know, at least I can say, hey, I got directed by Andrea Romano. I got to be in the Batman universe and I can die happy. I'm just like totally nodding in agreement over here. <laughs> and it's one of those things when you go to these conventions and people ask, what is your dream role? I just want to make a living doing this. <laughs> I just want to, I want to work with the people that I look up to in the industry and, you know, just work with them in the same, same room and all that. And so, yeah, I, I've never met Mark Hamill, but I hope I do, especially in the context of, of working on a project with him in, in, in the voiceover realm. I mean, I, I'm not an on-camera actor. And he does both, but I'm quite envious of, of people in, in my world of voiceover that uh, either have worked with them or get to hang with them at cons because they're a fellow guest. And it's like, oh man, that's so cool. That's kind of funny. And you hear more of it with some of the, the bigger tours going on, the musical tours, and again with uh, social media about artists just geeking out to, to see and, and be around other artists. Um, have you had like, fanboy moments around, you know, maybe people you, you grew up listening to and you're at a con, just like, holy shit, that's... God, it was freaky. At a, at a convention recently, I went to uh, Houston and they had an event. It was a pop culture event, Comic-Con type show, but they had some musicians there. So they had like, oh, I forgot what his name is. He's the drummer from the Ramones. He's the only Ramone left, basically, still alive. Uh, you had Dave Ellison, originally from Megadeth. And Rudy Sarzo from Quiet Riot and, and things like that. And it's like, they're in the bathroom when I go to take a pee. And like, this is so surreal. This is crazy. And then I go outside and say, look, it's Guar cosplayers. No, it was Guar. Was that with the, the female lead? No, I think they'd already replaced with with uh, another dude at this point. I can't keep up with all this Guar controversy. Let us know what you think at BB Broadcast, thebigballbroadcast at gmail.com. Oh, my God. There, there's all sorts of weird shit going on in our geeky world. Uh, continuing, you know, the DC Cinematic Universe is starting to make its it, its its plights known and where it's headed. And you got Chris Pine, who is currently uh, working on the third Star Trek film, which I think is called Star Trek Beyond. Trolling through the Facebook feed and, and Twitterverse and, and looking on various sites. And it looks like Chris Pine is headed to the DC Cinematic Universe. And you're going, oh, my God, he's going to be Green Lantern, right? Well, not so fast. The rap is reporting that Chris Pine has signed on to play Steve Trevor, the love interest of Diana Prince, also known as Wonder Woman. So you got Wonder Woman who's getting her own movie in 2017 after her debut in Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice, which is dropping next year. I haven't read any of that stuff, so I don't know if Steve Trevor is a is a dude in distress. Trevor's weird. His story. The Amazon culture forbids any contact with males and Diana decides to make this exception she ends up saving him. That's, I think, in her very earliest origin story, that's what gets her booted off the island where she can't return. She has to go live amongst the mortals because she actually helped out a dude. But yeah, he quickly becomes the dude in distress. It, it's it's uh, that gender reversal. I don't necessarily have a problem with that. And you also got to remember, too, Wonder Woman started as a straight-up bondage book, and that's not me you know, overhyping that. Look it up. It was just a straight-up over-sexualized bondage fantasy. It's kind of Fifty Shades of Grey with spandex, I suppose. <laughs> well, that'll sell millions. If there is any truth to this to this casting rumor, then I'm on board with it. I mean, people think that, that it's, I'm looking at the comments and people are going, yeah, I'm on board with this. Chris Pine, really likable, good actor. And it, it seems like a good thing to, to, to stretch your, 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 your muscles on there because he's already a leading man. 
as Captain Kirk, he might as well try something polar opposite, right? You know, let's go with not the leader. Let's go with something that, uh, you know, just a different dynamic. It sounds like a, a, an intriguing thing to play. And, of course, it all really boils down to how good is the script or, or, or how many changes are they going to make? Are they going to, uh, you know, tweak it? Because, you know, Hollywood always does that. They're going to change something about it to make the fanboys and fangirls just, you know, livid. It was kind of weird. I, I was reading earlier and it was kind of fleeting. Um, but they were talking about Aquaman's appearance in the DC universe and, and what his role is going to be like in this upcoming uh, Batman vs. Superman. The way they're making it sound now, it's very blink and you'll miss it. It's kind of a fuck you to everybody who talks so much shit about the way he looked on social media when they first revealed him if it's going to be something like popping up and going really fast. I'm still a little lost. A little lost with, with what DC is doing and how they initially announced things and then wheel it up and change it up. And one thing I do like, though, with some of their new revelations is Batman in this movie is going to be a lot older. He's going to be in his up to mid-40s, and he's been Batmaning for about 20 years. So that's pretty cool to get a, a really, you know, heartless, grizzled bitter Batman and, and not this bullshit origin stuff. I like how you turned it into a verb or an adjective. It's like, what do you do? I Batman. I've been Batmaning for 20 years. I'm like, oh, good, good. Excellent. That unfortunately is from Big Bang and that's when they uh, did the Spider-Man. Spider-Man, Spider-Mans. That's what he does. Okay, so in the uh, we talk about DC Cinematic Universe. What is happening over in the Marvel world? Uh, you have the success of Daredevil. Everyone's just, you know, through the roof excited about how well they, they captured the essence of the comic book. Plus, it's just damn good. It's gritty. It's dark. Great casting. And it will be renewed, of course. And everyone's thrilled with that. But, you know, you have the, the, the different phases in the cinematic universe. Well, looks like Netflix and Marvel are working together to have phases for television. This was really cool because this is really the most we know about Netflix and Marvel's long-term plan on, on how they're going to handle these characters and when they're going to culminate into the Defenders. So we have a lot more to go on now. And uh, some of these quotes are saying things like, ideally they're going to have a rhythm about every six months you'll get to see a new season or a new series from the Defenders group. And they'll cross over into the combined Defender season once, we, once we've launched the first season of each of the four characters. And since they're going to selectively have multiple seasons as they come out of the gate, they'll probably be, probably be two launches a year. Um, they also go on to tease that if there's enough demand, um, not only could you see these characters coming to the big screen, but also some secondary characters like Punisher, the possibility certainly does exist for him to get his own standalone series on Netflix. Yeah, I could see that what they were doing with they got, you know, Shane from The Walking Dead uh, to play Punisher in season two of Daredevil. I could totally see that as it's like, let's just tease. Let's just put this out there because, you know, for better or for worse, all the different cinematic incarnations of the Punisher, people uh, people still want to see Frank Castle uh, in some form. There, there, there's there's definite interest to, to keep that thing alive and i'm glad that they're not abandoning that concept just kind of like uh hey we got the rights back for blade and ghost rider because we want to see you know those franchises flourish as well i dig how they're essentially doing a copy and paste on the small screen and that sounds like a backhanded compliment but i like it and i know what to expect from it they're building up their netflix universe the same way that marvel built up the cinematic universe Let's go through the introductions, and then boom, here's your team. I'm okay with that. 
And now that I know when this is coming out, I feel more comfortable about it. Before it was so up in the air, it sounded like maybe one show a year. But now we're talking two titles a year. Yeah, that sounds a lot better. Right. And meanwhile, on the Cinematic Universe side, it looks like talks have broken down with Channing Tatum, who was recently announced as being connected to the Gambit movie, which is set to start shooting this October with a a release a year after. I'm personally not really affected either way because I don't really think it's necessary to make a Gambit movie. I mean, if he wants to show up in in, in the X-Men universe or whatnot, I'm totally down with that. But it's like, do we really need a whole movie? I'm so confused. I think it was Monday. There was this really big casting release that came out for for people for this movie. And then all of a sudden, the following evening, oh, Tatum, he's probably not going to be doing this. Now, the other trip, slippery slope with this is he's also a producer. So the big question is, is he going to continue to stay on a producer? Or is he walking away from this project entirely? Their release date's coming up. I believe it's next October, October 2016. So... I think we're going to hear a lot more really soon because they're going to have to button this up as quick as possible. But Channing Tatum is linked to uh, some some casting rumors along with Chris Pratt. Uh, Check this out. A male-driven reboot of Ghostbusters, supposedly in development from the Russo brothers who are doing... uh, They did Winter Soldier, and now they're currently working on Captain America 3. Uh, and producer Ivan Reitman, the original Ghostbusters producer, uh, and according to Blaster.com, they're going to make some sort of companion to the female-driven reboot film that's currently shooting with Paul uh, Feig, or Feig, and that one is set to drop next summer with uh, the all-female cast. That's an interesting development. <laughs> you could have all the ladies, and then have one with all the dudes, and then maybe a third one where they cross over, uh, or, you know, like an Avengers-type situation. It's pretty wild, too, with them talking about how the possibility exists that they may just multiverse the fuck out of this thing and have ties to the very original Ghostbusters and everything. But questions have been raised. How can you do that when, A, you have one uh, Ghostbuster alumni who's passed and one who wants nothing to do with this franchise whatsoever? But they're pretty adamant that they're going to make it work. It's kind of that weird backlash with with Marvel and DC and Cinematic Universe and everybody wanted to filter through that. When you're talking about the formula, the team that's coming together to make this movie, on paper anyway, it's a smash hit. People love Ghostbusters. It's actually thrived in in recent years uh, in, I think, IDW is the company. They've had uh, comic book spinoffs and and all this sort of thing, and I think those those lines are coming to a close, probably because of the new Ghostbusters cinematic stuff. And, you know, it's just a matter of time before they'll just announce another animated series, right? Because a lot of uh, the current generation, like they grew up on the Ghostbusters, I guess there's Extreme Ghostbusters and the real Ghostbusters, right? The two cartoon series. They'll probably, you know, develop a, a new one based on the all-female team, or maybe the all-male team, or maybe a fusion, you know, all, you know. The possibilities are endless, and I'm sure Dan Aykroyd is just like pissing his pants so excited that a franchise that he was a part of decades ago that, you know, I guess makes him relevant again, right? <laughs> he who dies with the most toys wins. Yeah, yeah, although he ain't hurting. He owns a vodka company, right? He's you know, Crystal Skull Vodka or something like that. I've heard it's absolutely atrocious. I haven't sampled it myself, but people have bought it because they really dig the the 
canter that it comes in, but the, like the content is just putrid. That makes me wonder about when celebrities get approached and they suddenly endorse something like Britney Spears perfume. You know, these celebrities have nothing to do with the actual product development. They just slap their name on it for a nice endorsement deal. So you have these uh, generic companies that are just scrambling to put together. Hey, let's uh, let's make coffee from Aerosmith or or or, <laughs> or Kiss or or whatnot. Like what? Well, yeah, someone will buy it. What is pretty cool, though, is that Skywalker Ranch does have a, uh, a vineyard, and they do every year release a very limited limited number of bottles to the market. And they're very tongue-in-cheek, and they're kind of Star Wars-inspired, but they're very, very difficult to get your hands on. And that's coming, you know, again, right from Skywalker, Skywalker Ranch, so that's pretty cool. This is kind of interesting. Made my ears perk up. Edge of Tomorrow possibly getting a sequel. Uh, that's if Tom Cruise gets his way, that is. Now, this movie came out last year. It made little more than double its budget of $178 million. Uh, the critics loved it, and the few people that did go to the theater to see it, including myself, totally loved it. Great sci-fi, a lot of fun. It's kind of like Groundhog Day. It's him playing a character not as you usually see him. That was also very refreshing to see. Really cool. It's based on a manga, All You Need Is Kill, which is also getting a sequel. But Cruz said he actually came up with an idea and has pitched it to the original film's writers, Christopher McQuarrie and director Doug Lehman. And he wants Emily Blunt, his, his co-star from the film, to be on board as well. But she's busy for the next year. But I'm thinking if this thing actually does get off the ground, and many many movies are always you know bandied about, then they end up in development hell, and some, some of them uh, come to fruition and others don't. Uh, I don't think it's going to be anytime soon. So it's another one of those things. It's like, is this a sequel no one asked for? Probably. But there's a, there's a few vocal ones. Not as many as like, you know, people that want Firefly back or something. But I, I think there are some people out there that have seen Edge of Tomorrow or as its marketing campaign for home video had a much better title. Live, repeat, die <laughs> or live, die, repeat, rather. Live, Die, Repeat. That's a much better name for it. Edge of Tomorrow sounds like a horrible soap opera, but I know that I would totally uh, get behind uh, an Edge of Tomorrow sequel. And I don't think you've seen it yet, right? I have not. Um, I keep thinking Pacific Rim 2, Pacific Rim 2. You got that, what, 2017? We got a couple of years before we see that. We do, but you know what? I, I also keep forgetting we have Star Wars coming soon, too, and, and then I get so excited about that. I think it's in, in loving hands. I really do, and I hope I don't eat my words. And I know as a, as a voice actor, I'm thinking, I'm going back to the time when I got to do some bit parts on Wreck-It Ralph for Disney, and I recorded that in July. The movie came out in November. I'm thinking post-production, getting like loop groups and bit part voice acting, you know, dubbed in and everything and all that is going to happen soon for the December release of Force Awakens. I'm going to badger my agent. It's like, do you know anyone at Disney? <laughs> is anyone doing like bit part voices? I want to be a stormtrooper that dies. I want to be an alien that just goes, just to say that was me. I could be the next Ahmed Best for all we know. I could be, I'm Jar Jar! And like, no, uh, okay. Did you read what was bouncing around social media uh, last week about Michael Jackson had originally approached Lucas about playing Jar Jar, but he wanted to do it all practical with makeup and, and prosthetics? Yeah, I can't decide if that would make it worse. I think at this point, yeah, we're like, hey, give it a shot, whatever. Couldn't be any worse. I guess he wouldn't have that, that speech pattern that he ended up having in the movie. He, he would just be very feminine. Oh, Misa think that, uh... Oh, Annie. I'm so disappointed with the internet that that wasn't heavily memed. We are a meme generation, and they have a shelf life of about two hours <laughs> before people move on. 
So maybe it's too late. We, we, we've missed the window on that. But yeah, Michael Jackson has Jar Jar memes. Where are they? Again, inquiring minds. This episode is is coming to a close, but hopefully you guys like what you hear. If you go to smodcast.com, you can check out our online archive of every previous episode, uh, of which there are 31 before this one. So we encourage you to check that out, and we definitely want to hear from you, whether you're a new listener or an old-time listener. And I know how it's like. You know, you listen to a podcast and be like, yeah, I, I listen to it. I'm a fan. And I never write in. I never let people know all the podcasts I listen to that I'm a fan. I just listen. And I totally get that. But I also understand the plight of where do we go from here? Do you guys have ideas? you guys have uh, topics you want us to discuss in the geek realm, in the pop culture realm? We talk about games, movies. We talk about tech. We talk about random shit. We talk about music, too, because Steve and I come from a musical background, too. I've played drums before. Steve, you're a bass player. Talk everything, man. Uh, government experiments and conspiracy to voice acting, which is what I do professionally. That's my day job. Uh, we cover it all, and uh, sky's really the limit. So if you guys want to hear us talk about anything in particular... Drop us a line. Let us know. TheBigBallBroadcast at gmail.com. At BBBroadcast on Twitter. Every Wednesday, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific from here on out. Wednesday's our new broadcast stream date when you can listen in and join our chat room and get the live feedback. Oh, we love the live thing. We're like Meerkat in Periscope, only not as cool because it's no video. But it's okay. You don't want to see me or Steve anyway right now. Until next time, this is Kyle Bear, And this is Other World Steve. See ya! Special thanks to Will Wilkins and Jason Peer. Music provided by Zero Reynolds. Follow us on Twitter at BBBroadcast. And email thebigballbroadcast at gmail.com. This has been a production of Smodco Internet Radio. Sir, only at Smodcast.com.